What a beautiful reminder this morning that there is rest for the weary. That sets us right up where we are going this morning in our teaching time. Find your Bibles. If you, have, if you have a Bible or a smartphone or wherever you've got Scripture, open it up, please, to Matthew, please. Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. Matthew 11, 25 through 30. There's an outline in your bulletin. Maybe you'd like to follow along this morning as we go through this amazing passage of Scripture. Anybody tired today? Chances, chances are there's some of us here that didn't get enough sleep last night. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't fall asleep. You need to hear what God's going to say to you. I mean, have you ever been so tired that you just couldn't keep your eyes open? I remember once uh, in high school, my friends and I, we decided to go skiing for the day. So we pile into my friend's car and we go up to Dodge Ridge and we skied all day long. We left early in the morning. We didn't stop all day. We got back in the car. We were exhausted. And it took all of us about 10 minutes before we fell asleep. And poor Chris Canal, driving his car, was now all alone, driving by himself. But don't worry, uh, he also fell asleep. Between Sonora and Twain Hart, or Twain Hart and Sonora, somewhere along the line, we woke up to careening between the medium and the, the hillside and going back and forth and finally coming to a screeching stop, got out, assessed the damage, and by that time we were all awake. And we stayed awake. Not because we were rested, but because we were too scared to close our eyes again. It's amazing what fatigue will do to our bodies, to our minds. And there's different kinds of being tired. Sometimes we're physically tired, like we just need more sleep. Sometimes we're emotionally tired, like when we say things like, I'm tired of this job, I'm tired of this school, I'm tired of this problem, I'm tired of this commute. Sometimes it's a relational fatigue that we experience. I'm tired of you. I'm tired of this marriage. I'm tired of our family. I'm tired of this church, whatever. We get tired. And sometimes our weariness comes even in a, in a religious sense. We get tired of trying to live up to rules and standards and, and morals. And, and we kind of feel like the fatigue is just sort of getting so strong in our lives. And there are many of us here today who may feel that way. Or we know somebody who is religiously fatigued. I mean, there's nothing like sin and the law that would make us incredibly tired in our lives. And Jesus is going to address that today. What I've learned as I've gone through my life is that tired people eventually look for rest. And today we're going to see some important things that Jesus has to say to those who may be tired. And we want you to see that here in Matthew 11, verses 25. So follow along as I read. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right, that's our text for today. And I know for a lot of us, we, we are very familiar with verses 28 
through 30, but we're not as familiar with what's up at the top there. And, and before we just jump into this text today, I want you to see a couple of things. All I really want to show you today are two things in this text. And these two things happen to be all about Jesus. And if you just want to know where we're going this morning, that weary people need what only Jesus can give to them. And that's what we find right here in this text. Weary people need what only Jesus can give them. I mean, the primary thrust of this passage, while we started with a, a, a story of physical fatigue, is really not about physical fatigue. But physical fatigue is a great metaphor because we know how that feels. And some of us are not as familiar with what the religious fatigue feels like that this passage addresses. I mean, if you're physically tired today, you really don't need to hear Jesus say anything to you other than go take a nap this afternoon. But if you're tired in another way, if there's a a tiredness of your soul because you are uh, trying to strive to earn the favor of God today, trying to keep the rules of God today, trying to live up to some standard that you know you can't live up to today, if that's where your fatigue comes from, then you need, like we all need, Jesus because Jesus gives to tired people what tired people need the most. The upshot of this passage is that only Jesus gives us what we look for when we're tired. So here, here we go. If we're going to jump into this, just two things I want to show you about Jesus. First, verses 25 and 26 show us that Jesus is the model of rest. He's the model of rest. And what I observe first in this context is what Jesus is doing. He's showing us what rest looks like. He's modeling it. Do you see that here in this text? Some of us might have trouble seeing this. Let me show you a couple of things. And I'm going to put it under the category of this, this modeling comes in the form of a declaration. Jesus is saying something here. It says, at the time, Jesus said, I praise you. So there's a couple things I'm going to point out to you, and you can just jot them down if you want. They're really not laced in your notes. They're just, what is the declaration itself? He's giving praise. I want you to notice first that Jesus praises his heavenly Father. He starts this thing with praise. Then he makes a pronouncement. Look at the next part. His, he says, Lord of, he says to his father, Lord of heaven and earth. He's recognizing that God is sovereign over all things. So got it? He starts with praise. Then he moves to the power of God or the sovereignty of God, the father. And then he noticed, notice verse 26, he finds pleasure in the will of the father. For this was your good pleasure. Now we need to unpack all of that, but I want you to just see there. I want you to see praise. I want you to see power. And I want you to see the pleasure of God. That's what Jesus is saying here in the midst of of what's come before, which we're going to just jump into here momentarily. Just hold on to that. I want you to notice now the timing of this declaration. Verse 25, the very start. At that time, Jesus said. At that time. Why is this important? Uh, Matthew uses the word here, kairos, for time, not chronos, which is the typical word for time. Like if you looked at your watch and you see that it's 9.10 right now, that's chronos time. But Matthew says, at that time, kairos, meaning at this season, at this setting, in this context, here's what Jesus is doing. Now what's exactly important about the context that we need to understand why praise, why power, why the pleasure of God is so important? And under this idea of Jesus modeling rest. The last couple of weeks we've been looking at some of the most difficult places in terms of of what Jesus is going through. First he says we're going to be hated and then all of the arrows kind of point to him 
and, and he's rejected in all the cities that he's been ministering to. And for the last couple of weeks, man, we've had some great preaching on the fact that Jesus came into all these places preaching and ministering the gospel and he was categorically turned down by his own people. He came to his own, but his own received him not, John 1 tells us. And Jesus was put down, he was rejected, he was summarily pushed away and he's pronounced woe and judgment on all of these cities. And, and if Jesus were just a mere man right now, I think Jesus would be very dejected. But I want you to notice, what is the thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth? Praise. After all the rejection, after being pushed away out of all the cities where he administered, what does he do? He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Listen, in a season of rejection and hard-heartedness toward him, Jesus could praise his heavenly Father. Why? Why? Why is this important? Because this is a picture of rest. A picture of rest says, I can praise God regardless of my circumstances. That's what rest is. Rest is not idle motion. Rest is an infusion of trust. It's a sense of God is in control. What does Jesus say next? Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You see, Jesus is showing us here, he's modeling for us rest, when in the midst of his own rejection, he praises his heavenly Father. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had a dear saint, a woman in our church, uh, she and her husband attended here for years, then they went overseas and did some missions work, they came back, and uh, she's been attending our Bible study, and, and they've been around, and, and I happened to meet with her on a Wednesday, and we had a, a wonderful discussion, kind of catching up with things going on in her life. Three days later, she was with four friends up in Yosemite, and on their way home, they were head-on accident, a fiery crash. Four out of the five in their vehicle were killed instantly, and she was one of them. And we had her service just Thursday night for young Argella. It was the most amazing service. She's Korean. There were, it was a Korean-American service. I was sharing the service with a Korean-speaking pastor, leader in a church, and it was just an amazing experience to see, you know what the family chose as the opening chorus to sing, it is well with my soul. Can you do that? Can you say that? I was thinking as I was singing out that song, and she's just a dear saint, it was so shocking, but I was thinking, here's her family, here's what we want to sing, it is well with my soul. This is how we want to start the service. This is, we want to begin with praise. Is, is that where we begin when we are in a circumstance in our life that is hard, difficult, we feel pushed out, shoved out, rejected, or the circumstances of our life just have not gone the way we want them to go? I mean, that is amazing to me. Jesus here models what rest looks like. Here's what rest looks like. God, I trust you. Lord, you are Lord and sovereign over all things. Notice Jesus doesn't say, uh, I question you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. What are you doing? Am I not the Savior, the Lord sent from heaven to redeem the world? No, he says, God, I praise you no matter what I'm going through because praise is appropriate in seasons, in times of discouragement. I can say, Lord, I trust in you, Lord of heaven and earth. And not only that, I find pleasure in knowing that I'm in your will. Wow. Here's here's the model of rest right here, Jesus. He can praise his heavenly Father. He acknowledges his heavenly Father is sovereign over all things. And he takes pleasure in the Father's will. 
And I know that whenever I feel super fatigued in my spiritual life as a follower of Jesus, when I feel super fatigued, here's one thing I'm not doing. I'm probably not praising him. I'm probably not acknowledging his sovereignty over my life. And I'm probably not finding pleasure in the will of God for my life in that moment. And that is a great indicator today. If, if we're not praising, if it's hard for us to praise, if we're not recognizing God's sovereignty in our lives, if we're sort of holding on grudgingly to what God's doing, can I just suggest to us we're really not resting well. You want to rest? Praise Him. You want to rest? Acknowledge His sovereignty. You want to rest? Find pleasure in His will for your life. And that'll take you a long ways. Notice the declaration. Notice the timing of the declaration. Notice also the irony of the declaration. Jesus assesses the overwhelming pushback from those he came to save, and he offers praise for the mysterious and amazing way that his Father is bringing about his promise. And here's the irony. Are you watching this? Those who might, the one, those that one might have thought would follow Jesus are not the wise and the learned and the one that we might thought would have follow, uh, would not have followed Jesus does follow Jesus. And Jesus says it right here in verse 26. Uh, he, excuse, verse 25. Uh, that you have hidden the things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Sort of the mystery as to why so oftentimes we look at people and say, oh, that person, I know God's working in that person. And we just work and work and we share the gospel and we get around them and we just wait for breakthrough and nothing seems to happen. And then there's someone over here that we just never expected and their heart is just being tuned to the Lord. They're just coming alive in faith and they're just excited to follow Jesus. And this is the mystery of our faith. We can't figure it out. We think somebody's ready and they're not. We think somebody's not ready and they are. And this is the way the gospel works. This is mystery. And Jesus says, Father, I am so grateful that it's not to the wise and learned. Not to the people that have it all together, not to the smartest, not to the fastest, not to the people that think that we think they've got it all together in their lives. It seems like God shows up and he begins to open and reveal himself to the, to the nobodies and the nothings and the people that we think would never, ever come. The misfits, the down and outers, the up and outers, every kind of people God comes to. And it's usually not the people that we assume. So Jesus is the model of rest. He models rest as he praises God, as he shows gratefulness to his heavenly Father, and as he takes pleasure in the will of the Father for his life. So that's the first thing I want to show you. And it's simple, okay? Just that he models rest. But here's the most important thing about this passage, and that is that Jesus not only models rest, but he's the means of rest. He's the means of rest. This is where things go a little deeper here, and you need to buckle up a little bit and listen carefully to what's said. Now, in the modeling of rest, this was seen through a declaration. I'm going to suggest to you that, that in the means of rest, this comes to us in a form of a revelation. All right? Let's look at it there in verse 27. He says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And for those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So if, if Jesus in the first, when Jesus models through a declaration, it's what Jesus said that I was pointing out. Here, we, it comes through a revelation. This is not what Jesus said necessarily, but what Jesus does. And what does Jesus do? He reveals the Father. He's the revealer. Okay? And now this is kind of an interesting little phrase here. All things have been committed to me. What does that mean? 
What, what was Jesus meaning when he said, all things have been committed to me? What are the, these things in this text? Most scholarship points us to the things that Jesus experienced before his incarnation, his glory, his authority, his utter transcendence with the Father. Equal in substance and essence, Jesus who is the Christ. Later in the book of Matthew, remember Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven has been given to me, Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth. So Jesus says, all things have been committed to me. Now what does Jesus say next in this text? This is difficult, notice. He says, no one can know the Son except the Father, and no one can know the Father except the Son. Now if you just take that face value, you'd say, "Uh uh-oh, I guess none of us can know the Father, and none of us can know the Son, because only the Father knows the Son, and only the Son knows the Father. Oh, but look at this. Look at the end of verse 27. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now if you study the Gospel of John, this is very Johannine in its sound. This is a picture of the intimacy that God promises to his followers, to those who follow Jesus. The verb here, to know, is in its most intensive form. And what, what Jesus is basically saying, if you're taking notes, what he's basically saying is only he really knows the Father, and only the Father really knows Jesus. All right, are you following that? I mean, listen, every, every person, even lost humanity, knows God through creation. Romans 1 tells us that. That through, his, through creation, you know, depraved man can look up into the heavens and say, I, I realize that there's a God. Humanity knows that there's some of us that, that, uh, that have dialed in, that uh, somehow understand. But no matter what we understand of God, in whatever state, we only get really a glimpse. And, and even believers, even believers don't have this full-orbed understanding of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is eternal. God is, uh, all of the attributes of God are so beyond who we really are. And I think we just sort of trivialize this sometimes in our in our faith journey that we kind of, we get a little smug and we kind of think that we know everything about God and, and I don't know, the thing, I'm, I'm getting older in my life, I'm realizing the more I've learned about God, the more I feel like I don't understand about God. I mean, I hope that doesn't shock you. God's an eternal being and it seems like the more you drill down into trying to understand who he is, the more it opens up into this amazing expanse. It's like, it's like taking your telescope and looking into the, here we are, the little Milky Way galaxy. And now, did you watch the news this week? They were talking about how, you know, they're going into dark space with all these telescopes and they're seeing that there's hundreds and millions of galaxies in this dark space that we never knew were there. Hundreds and millions of galaxies. It seems like the closer we get, the, the further out we go, the more we realize how expansive it really is. And that happens in the macro. It also happens in the micro. The smaller you go down, smaller, smaller. Oh, there's more. Oh, there's more. Oh, there's more. It's just like this constant, wherever you go, up or down, tall or, or wide or small, it just gets more and more expansive. And this is true of God. And remember that God is the creator of all this. So here's, here's, what, here's what Jesus is saying here. Verse 27, he's saying, only he can reveal to someone what really knowing God intimately is all about. Are you following that? Only Jesus can reveal to what, what it really means to really know God intimately. I mean, 
Listen, God is still transcendent. He's still mysterious, but knowable through Christ. That means that no one can come to know God. Watch this. Are you listening? Through a prophet, through a religious guru, through an enlightened personage, or through any religious system apart from the person of Jesus Christ. He is the only true revealer. And the Holy Spirit who has come, who, where we read in John chapter 14, where Jesus says, when I go, I will send another helper, the word another alone there, not another of a different kind, but another of the same kind. The Holy Spirit is now the revealer. But it's only through Jesus that we come to know the Father. And so when people say, well, isn't it great that we can all worship the one true God? Doesn't matter what religion you come from, doesn't matter who you, we can all worship the same God. Even if we put Jesus over here, the Bible categorically says no. And right here in Matthew 11, we find one of the most stunning statements of the exclusivity of knowing what intimate knowledge and intimate experience with the God of the universe is only possible through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the revealer. And that is, that is really, really important in the pluralistic culture that we live in, in a, in, a, in a culture that sort of embraces all religions are on the same place. It doesn't matter what you believe. It's all, we're all spokes in one giant wheel, comes to the hub, and this, this is not, that is not true. And Jesus makes it so right here. We come to Jesus and we come to Jesus alone to find the Father. Let's quickly, we've got a couple minutes. Let's go over to the book of John, please. I just, really important, John chapter 14. I quoted a little bit of that passage, but I think this would be great now to just bring this back into focus. John chapter 14. <clears throat> you remember Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, I would have told you. He goes to this beautiful, he's leaving. He's going to the cross and he says, He says, I'm about to go, but I don't want you to worry because I will come back and take you to be with me. And you know the place where I'm going. And remember, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Listen, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does he say next? No one comes to the Father, what? Except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Oh, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me that I, I, when I say that I, am the, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Read on. If, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you. There it is. Another counselor, another of the same kind, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. 
On that day you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, look at this, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Well, that's, that's a, a companion passage to the Matthew 11 where Jesus says, no one knows the Father except the Son, no one knows the Son except the Father, except for those whom the Son reveals, chooses to reveal him. So I, I don't know where you are this morning. I hope that that's encouraging to you because here we find this beautiful picture that only Jesus can reveal to someone what really knowing God intimately is all about. And something else I want you to see in verses 28 through 30. There's a declaration. There's a revelation. Now here in 28 through 30, there, there's an invitation. Look at verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Now we see a little bit more of the context of this off-quoted invitation that Jesus gives to those who are weary. Notice, this invitation is for anyone who is tired and specifically tired trying to live up to God's standards apart from a relationship with Jesus. So here's the deal. Jesus is speaking to people that have categorically rejected him. They're living under uh, the Judaism, the Judaism of the day that that spoke of the living by the commands of God. And there were, did you know that there were over 600 commands that a, a righteous Jewish person would try to live under to please God, over 600 commands. And m- many of that beca- became the tradition of the elders. This is why Jesus was always, whenever you see the phrase, the tradition of the elders in the Gospels, Jesus is sort of referring to this oral commands that the, the religious leaders of the day imposed upon the, the law of God. But if you meticulously go through the Old Testament, you will find command after command. And Jesus is simply saying that, look, you try to live your life according to the commands. And you're going, here's what, you, here's what the law teaches you. You cannot live up to the law. The law shows you that you are a failure. The law shows you that you are condemned. Is the law bad? Romans 7? No, it's not bad. It just simply shows us. It's a tutor that leads us to the recognition that we need a Savior. But there are so many people out there in the world and even people who are sit in churches just like ours who are trying to earn their favor, earn the favor of God by what they do. I go to church. You're marking that off today, okay? It's only 9.30 in the morning. I've done the first thing. I've gone to church. And we're living by this righteous, this law of righteousness that we think we can do do things to sort of get the, the praise of God, that we get the acceptance of God. And here's the beautiful truth of the gospel. You can work as hard as you want and you will never, ever, ever measure up to God's righteous standard until you come to Jesus and you accept his righteous standard over all of the law. Everything that Jesus did fulfilled the law and we come and we place our faith in Jesus and in that moment, everything that Jesus did is applied to us and in that way, we fulfill the law. So you're either striving on your own or you're trusting in someone else who has striven for you, and that is Jesus Christ. Which is it today? And there are people that are so tired because they're so, 
Listen, I've traveled around the world and I've seen all the people in these religious systems coming into their temples and shrines and they, they look morbid and they're sad and they, they're holding their instruments of worship and their incense and they're lighting candles and they're lighting incense and they're bringing money and they're putting it down and they're sort of crying out, maybe the God that I'm here to worship will accept my offering today so that I can go home and feel somehow the blessing of this God in my life. And it is a tiresome burden And Jesus steps onto the scene of that and this, and he says, I am the one who can give you rest. you got to stop striving and working for something that I have done, that I have accomplished. Boy, there's so many people that are tired out there. I'll tell you what else makes you tired. Not just trying to live up to the law of God, but sin will make you tired too. And there are people all over our culture that are so tired they don't realize it. I mean, yeah, they're physically tired because they stayed up partying or whatever else they did. But just when you reject the gift of life and you try to manage your life on your own and when you reject Jesus, just like he was rejected in this passage, it is such a burden. It's an oppressive burden in your life. And Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give rest. What a great invitation it is. We can stop our works. I love Romans 4, 5. Anyone who responds to the invitation experiences rest. Romans 4, 5, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Did you get that? To the one who does not work. Are you working for your salvation today? Well, we're supposed to work at our salvation, Philippians 2, 12, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but not work for your salvation, That's why our worship is the purest of all worship. Because we don't come in this slavish sense of, oh man, if we don't worship, we're in trouble. We come to worship God because we're so grateful for what he's done. And that even though we fail, and we're going to fail a dozen times or more this week, maybe in some big ways in our lives, we're not going to try to, but we're going to find ourselves stumbling all week long. All of us are going to say things we wish we didn't say, do things we didn't wish we do, think things that we didn't that we wish we wouldn't have thought. And all of that is a reminder to us that we've fallen short. But thank you, Jesus. We find rest in you because you have done the work. And we can trust you. I like what Hebrews 4 9 says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. Is that us this morning? Are we resting? Listen, anyone who responds to this invitation experiences rest. But there's something else here that's really important. Verses 29 and 30, and this is where we wrap it up. Anyone who responds to this invitation also becomes a disciple of Jesus. Okay, now look at this. Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. He sa- what does he say then? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This clarifies that coming to Jesus for rest isn't just about getting what we want or living a, an idle life. When we come to Jesus to get rest, he invites us to put his yoke on Resting isn't lounging. Resting is going to school with Jesus. You see, in in the time that Jesus spoke these words, when he talked about the yoke, the people were used to the yoke of the Pharisees. A a yoke, you know, in agrarian society, everybody knew what a yoke was. You got this wooden bar with a couple of loops in it, and you would put animals, a burden, in those loops, and they were in a yoke, and they were walking through the fields, plowing or harvesting, whatever. 
And, when it, and the word yoke actually means school. It means to, to come under. It means to learn together. And so when you're yoked up with somebody, you're, you're learning from them. And, and here's the beautiful thing. Some of us look at that and we go, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. You said, you said finding Jesus was finding rest. That sounds like just trading one yoke for another. Like, okay, I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of the burden of measuring, trying to live up to the measurement of God in my life. And now you're telling me to come to Jesus and, and be yoked up with him? That just sounds like I'm trading one yoke for another yoke. Well, yeah, you are, but the difference is, is Jesus is doing all the heavy lifting in this yoke. I mean, if you were to observe the way this works, Jesus is carrying us along, and we're learning from him. And here's the beautiful thing. Notice he says, he says I am what? Gentle and humble in heart. What you find in Jesus is he's not this slave uh, owner who with a, like a taskmaster's view is like sort of whipping us into shape. And some of us have that view of Jesus. He's always pushing us around. No, he says, come and learn from me because I'm gentle in, in heart. Uh, that, that when we assess our lives and we see that we have miserably fallen short, we recognize that Jesus, with Jesus, the score has been settled, the debt has been wiped away, our sins are completely forgiven. In, in Jesus' schoolhouse, we are guaranteed to pass as we just stay yoked up with him. And we just walk with him through this life. We learn some days, we learn more than other days, but we are with him. And he's not shaking his finger at us and mad at us and telling us we just blew it. Can, I just can't believe it. You blew this again. That's not Jesus. Jesus is gentle. I love this. Jesus is, is gentle and humble in heart. Aren't you glad that we serve a Savior that is gentle and humble in heart? And for the umpteenth time, if you feel like your life is broken this morning, you need to remember that if you've, if you've traded your sins for his righteousness, if you've come to him by faith, you can trust him that ever and always he will be everything you need for, for the life that he's called you to live. And you don't have to strive and try to make this and do this on your own. To leave religion and rules and self-effort and good works in order to be right with God is to rest the way Jesus called us to rest. To rest in him. And I know, I know that this is actually not speaking so much to believers here, but I think believers get caught up in the work also. And we kind of, we just mix up the price tags. And we think that somehow we're doing stuff that honors God and so for he, therefore he's going to look at us differently than if we didn't do that stuff. And the reality is he looks at you the same whether you've done it or not because it's by grace we have been saved. And out of response... Remember, rest is not lounging. Rest out of response. We come and we worship and we praise Him. This is how good He is. Why do we come to Jesus when we need rest? Why? Because He models it and He's the means for it. And if you've not trusted in Jesus today, then that's the first object point of your life. I know that God has brought someone here today that is tired of sin, tired of a life trying to live up to the standard that they think God has for them and they've never understood that they need to lay down their works and trust in the one who did the work when Jesus went to the cross, died for their sins, and rose again from the grave. And if that's you this morning, I want to invite you right now to take Jesus at his invitation. Let's pray together right now.